Welcome to Review the Future, the podcast that takes an in-depth look at the impact of technology on culture. I'm Ted Cupper. I'm John Perry. And today we're asking the question, are we addicted to our technology? You hear about this a lot. Uh, you hear a lot of alarmist things. Uh, I quickly browsed the internet and it was not hard to find various articles, you know, wringing their hands about how addicted we are and how much time we spend staring at screens. Supposedly, the attention span in 2000 was 12 seconds, and then in 2012, it had dropped to 8 seconds, with 9 seconds being the attention span of a goldfish. Apparently, that's the kind of short level of focused attention span that you have like when you respond to a stimulus, like the phone ringing. So that's why it's so short, even to begin with. Uh, you see uh, 38% of college students can't go 10 minutes without checking their device. Uh, you see a lot of these studies about uh, students that, you know, get depressed when they're uh, separated from their phones for, you know, sometimes even 20 minutes. Apparently, uh, students reported that media and especially their mobile phones were an extension of themselves. Most students said they felt lost, alone, and excessively lonely when their screens were taken from them. So you just see a ton of this type of stuff. It's not hard to find. Uh, and obviously, you see it around you in your everyday life. I mean, I know that I go directly from my phone the second someone's not talking to me. I mean, I try to follow the normal social norms about not literally checking my phone in front of people when they're saying words to me. Oh, yeah, I do that. I'm totally guilty of that. I, I sometimes do that, too. I mean, but at least there seems to be a sort of social convention forming around that. But anyways, is any of this a problem? Is this a real addiction in the medical sense? Uh, is it something we should be worried about? Those are the kinds of things we want to talk about. Uh, and, you know, there's even a, a business now for people who want to escape from their technology. I saw this website called Digital Detox, uh, which does these retreats where you can uh, abandon your technology for periods of time. I think disconnect to reconnect is their, is their tagline. So there's all this stuff out there, and definitely the technology is getting more and more compelling. Uh, and that might be cause to call it an addiction when we use it more and more. Uh, but we're going to kind of examine well, I think that. There's, yeah. yeah, there are things that people are seeing that they're responding to here. They look around them. They see more people using technology. They find themselves using technology. And maybe they even find themselves using technology when they feel like maybe they ought not to be. Um, you hear a certain amount of hand-wringing about that. But I'm not sure that any of these characterizations that we're seeing all the time really rise to the level of addiction the way we think about addiction when we talk about overeating or uh, drug addiction or something that's uh, more classically defined as an addiction. Right. And we're not, uh, we're not doctors. No, so no. We're, we're not going to get too technical here, but we, there is a distinction to be made that I think is... Well, I think we should define our terms, right? right. Yeah. Because um, we want to talk about addiction and obviously we're not, uh, this isn't clinical um, specificity here. We're just sort of positing our own point of view. We want to draw out uh, an interesting distinction. Yeah, but I think there's a, dis uh, a distinction where usually the definition that you see for addiction is use in the face of consequences. And we want to contrast that with just plain reliance, using something, but without the consequences. Right. So you have to have those consequences there for it to even be addiction. It's, it doesn't, it's not really meaningful to say that I'm addicted to oxygen, say. Right, because uh, I I need the oxygen to survive. Yes, so I'm dependent on it or I'm reliant on it, but there's not really consequences to me breathing oxygen. Right, and if you look at something like food addiction, you can see okay, well I eat food every day. Uh, I Keeps have to do alive. that to to stay alive yeah. exactly. Uh, but I'm not addicted to food. Somebody who's addicted to food is eating food uh, to the point where it's harming them, and that that consequence of you know getting uh, morbidly obese or whatever is the difference between me who eats every day and a food addict who also eats every day. 
it's not actually that hard to think of, you know, situations involving technology where there are real consequences. I, I'm skeptical of some of these ones, like, you know, our attention span dropping below that of a goldfish and stuff, because it's hard to see, you know, exactly what that even means. Well, but, if we start having other characteristics in, in common with the goldfish, maybe it'll be time to worry. But uh, right now, it seems a little premature. Right. But uh, you definitely can think We're of... We're still outperforming the goldfish on a number of tasks, I think. It's true. We we keep them in the bowls. So they don't keep us in bowls <laughs> exactly. yet. Uh, I don't know why I said yet. I don't think they're... <laughs> <laughs> they're not on track, honestly, There's to do that a, soon. I, no. know, I know koi live a long time. There's a long there. line of animals ahead of them. Dolphins, I'm sure, <laughs> would, would develop technology long before. Yes. Um, but getting back not to the to point... Not to mention opposable thumbs. That's true. So we were going to go through three uh, actual examples of technology addiction that could be called addiction because there are potentially consequences. So, so basically we want to tell you three stories about consequences. Right. Right. Uh, consequences of using technology. So tell us a story. Uh, so, for example, you've probably heard about uh, people who get really involved in a virtual world, like a classic example would be World of Warcraft. Uh, if you're actually more curious about this, there's a, a documentary that you can watch for free online that's just a short film called In Real Life. Uh, and this is about people who get so involved in World of Warcraft that they, they lie to their friends about you know whether or not they're able to go out on Friday so they can stay in and play longer. Um, a lot of them lose their uh, spouses over this or, or just boyfriends or girlfriends. Uh, and they end up, you know, building up these characters over time, sometimes for years and years and lose a lot of, you know, social engagement. And, and the, the important thing is that these people who get so sucked into World of Warcraft often feel a great deal of regret later about what they're doing, the lying they're telling or. Right. The, and that's a classic symptom of addiction. If you want to quit and find you can't. Right. Yeah. Now, if somebody just likes World of Warcraft a lot and doesn't give a damn about other people, I don't know if that's an addict, right? That's just somebody who likes World of Warcraft. But when you keep using it and it's costing you things, that's definitely a form of addiction, I would say. Right. Okay. So here's another story. This is a story about you're driving down the street and you're using your cell phone to text your friend to tell them that you're coming. And you know you shouldn't do that. Uh, you know that it's distracting you from the road. But you do it anyway, and you hit somebody. And that causes all kinds of ramifications, not just the moral weight of having hurt someone, but also financial and other sorts of ramifications. Maybe you lose your driver's license or something like that. Now, that person who's gone through all that has a, a clear consequence of their use of technology. And you would assume a rational person who's not addicted would at that point curb the use. If this person chooses not to curb the use, they get another car and they get back out on the road and they start texting again then I think that's a, a good example of the kind of consequence we're talking about. That means the de meets the definition of continued use in the face of a, a consequence right, happening. Right, exactly. Yeah. So that starts to look like an addiction to me in a way that uh, just liking World of Warcraft, as you were talking about a second ago, doesn't look like addiction. Right. And then a third example ties into this, uh, the, a lot of the more alarmist stuff of just people you know, using social networking all the time. Uh, checking Facebook constantly. So a specific example would be just perhaps Facebook usage to the point that you're not getting your other work done, right? Well, you exactly. I mean, if you just really like Facebook and you're on Facebook, that's not uh, an example of what we're talking about. But if you are telling yourself, okay, uh, got to get this work done, only check Facebook for five minutes, and then you find 30 minutes has gone by and you've just been scrolling down, you go down the feed. down the Facebook hole. 
Yeah, when the, and that's happened to me. I've certainly experienced that. That is a consequence that then you need to reckon with. Right. So that starts to become potentially classified as what we would say Facebook addiction at right. that point. Right. And I think one thing you might notice in the in these three stories is that the kind of consequences we're talking about really varies very widely. So I think one thing that gets slippery here is that addiction is very um it's very value based. It's very relative to your values. So like you know, for example, somebody who really values staying on topic and getting their work done is going to be a lot more susceptible to Facebook addiction than somebody who doesn't have a lot of ambition to get a lot of work done. They might be entertained by the Facebook hole and feel like that was a worthwhile use of time. And then that definition of consequence fails to be met for that person. It's personalized to the person, right? That's who It's very specific to the person and, and specifically to their values. Right. Whether or not it's an addiction is a property of the individual person's mind and what their preferences are. Exactly. Although in the cell phone while driving one, I mean, I, I assume most of us prefer not to have a car accident. So that pretty one probably would top my list of being the most serious yeah, one. Yeah, considering that you could hurt somebody with a car, I think that... Well, puts society a, has that an puts interest. A moral, yeah. I think, well, not even societally, but just morally, I think any individual yeah. you can assume who's not a psychopath would morally prefer not to hurt others. Yeah. Uh, is, you know, put them in grave danger. I think that's pretty obvious, yeah. In, in fact, you could roughly rank them. I mean, probably the, the cell phone while driving one, the, the risk is very high. And then probably next on the list would be the World of Warcraft one, I mean, the the big consequences there possibly being to your social life and then maybe on a lesser scale to your health if you're... I mean, yeah, I honestly think the greater consequences to your health because you're sitting all day playing a game and we've, you know, we've got pretty believable uh, studies to the, to the effect that that kills sitting you. Sitting around all day is not great. Not great for you, no. So that's, you know, and whether you're m- missing out on... Uh, social opportunities in the quote-unquote real world or or not, I think there's definite negative consequences to playing uh, games all day uh, and never moving around and, um, you know, going outside. Right. Whereas, and then the third one is probably the least bad. I mean, if you spend 20 minutes longer on Facebook, that's frustrating, but it's, it's probably less serious than what we usually think of as addiction. Right. Um, well, I could definitely see, I could imagine that getting bad enough where you're wasting hours and hours a day to where it might be something you'd want to address. But I've, I've experienced that kind of negative consequence and it's never been bad enough for me to say quit Facebook or something like that. So what we want to do now is we've kind of defined what, how we're thinking about this and we want to you know, we're describing right now. And the goal of this podcast, of course, is to discuss the future. So we're going to speculate a little bit about where this is actually going. Is this going to get even worse? Because the technology is going to get better. Well, that seems to be the conventional wisdom. The conventional wisdom is as technology gets better and better, uh, this problem gets worse. Uh, But I'm not sure that that's actually the way it's going to go because, again, we have to look at this from the point of view of where are those consequences located. Um, so the driving one, right? Let's talk about that one. Because sure. one way you could argue is the cell phone's going to get more and more appealing. And compelling. And, and harder to look away from. So you're just going to, everybody's not going to be able to turn away for two seconds to look at the road and they're going to crash their car. Yeah, but two things are, are fighting against that. Uh, one thing that's happening already is that increasingly cell phones are aware of your voice and are working without being looked at. So even though it's compelling to look at the cell phone, that's not going away. You can have it read you your text. You can talk to it and and tell it to text back. You can tell it to start listening uh, without touching the screen now 
which that's a a simple technological change that's coming up that I think is going to reduce uh, that problem. And of course, the biggest one is is self-driving cars, of course. So, and then further down the road, the cars drive themselves and then it doesn't matter whether you're looking out the window or not. So I think that's a good example of the technology actually engineering out its own consequences, yeah. which is, I think, a pattern we're going to see repeated and one probably could find in history, which is that the, the cause of this addiction is the technology being good enough that we can't turn it down, but flawed enough that it creates these new problems for us. That it, it itself can't yet protect us from. Right. But it will. I think uh, if we des- if we desire that, if that's what wins in the you know in the marketplace of ideas or whatever, it, it, it's potentially possible for us to uh, run software that reminds us to get off Facebook occasionally if that's what we want to do, or that uh, just takes away you know the ability to hit somebody in our car by having the car drive us. Right. So if addiction is continued use in the face of consequences, then by making the cars drive themselves, you've basically cured the texting while driving addicts. I mean, essentially, that's not addiction anymore. It's just uh, people riding around checking their phones. Now, maybe right. you've turned that addiction into reliance, right? And, uh, but it no longer has negative qual- consequences now. So uh, it's not something necessarily to worry about. Now, again, people might still kind of feel weird about it if people are just cruising around in their cars for you know eight hours at a time, not realizing that they're in them, even because they're just so focused on their devices. Well, uh, but since we can only focus for eight seconds now and that'll be even shorter in the future they'll they'll snap out of it they'll get out of the car and go do something else they'll, they'll look at a screen in a new location yeah right yeah um but but so yeah and then i think you can imagine similar types of cures appearing for the other examples i think you mentioned already the facebook one mm-hmm. uh you could have some sort of eternal assistant ai that if you empowered it to say like kick you off of facebook and like motivate you to do your work i mean this is a service we don't have yet but i i think there's enough demand for it if it worked that uh, yeah this seems like something they could even do now with like a little bit of human intervention and some automation if they were smart and some people would really want this there's definitely got to be a market for motivation of this uh sort in the future yeah Yeah, i don't i don't know what the who's going to have the solution for but uh there's demand yeah absolutely Um, and then it's, I think in a way it's, it's harder to do technically, but you can also engineer out the, some of the problems with the World of Warcraft player. Sure. I mean, better biotech might engineer out the problems with sitting or better uh, technologies that allow you to get some physical exercise while you're in the virtual world too, which, you know, a home gyroscope with, you know, pair of goggles might actually be a really fun way to play a game and right, if when might, might yeah. solve a lot of those problems, you know? If when you're going on your, your raid, uh, you're actually, you know, jogging with like a broadsword in your hand, I think that's, uh, that's suddenly great exercise. Right. And you can probably, you know, in a world where this thing exists, you can probably determine how much physical resistance you want to feel versus the game. Like maybe the game makes you a lot stronger than you are, but still provides you with some resistance so that you're not, you know, withering away and uh, getting uh, type 2 diabetes on your couch while you enjoy your game world. And in that case, since there are, you know, it's a social world where other players exist, you're interacting with other people uh, through the game, the game itself is going to be sensorily rich and, you know, interesting to experience. Uh, If you've got motion and you've got your health, then it's really hard to say, again, what are the actual consequences of this? Now, that's, again, that's different from somebody who wants to go to work in the morning but stayed up playing World of Warcraft all night because they couldn't turn away, and now they hate themselves because uh, they screwed up their night. That person still has consequences. Although, can it fix that, too? Because, I mean, ultimately, this comes down to motivation 
right? And and that's something like again, assistants that can maybe lock you out of your devices and and coach you and and talk to you and uh, give you pep talks and stuff is mm-hmm. is actually pretty easy to imagine using sure. today's technology. And then I I wonder at some point if we're going to be able to actually uh, find a way to somehow physically medicate people for willpower. This is speculating, but. I know that there's like research now that willpower is actually a measurable thing. Right. So the, the types of experiments that they do, you know, they will record how long somebody can keep their hand in a bucket of ice water. Right. And they see differences, obviously, from person to person. And they also see differences within the same person over the course of a day. Right. As if your willpower drops, you know, from the moment you wake up in the morning until late in the day, your willpower is lower. Right, right. So, so if it's is a quantifiable resource in your brain, then maybe there's a way to uh, artificially to, pump that up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that seems like something that may become available, uh, and that again, some people would want, and there might be sort of social pressure for people who don't want it to use it anyway, uh, because it's sort of a self-fixing problem right. a little bit, and that's that's really interesting. And yeah, it seems that some combination of biotechnology and smart software could be tremendously motivating to anybody who wants to employ those systems. And then they might find that in that way, their conditioned technology addiction or whatever you want to call it uh, is overcome as well. Their, you know, their, their priorities are changed such that the technology. Uh, Well, see, that's a different thing. Yeah. You know, because people even talk about like with smart drugs or even just, you know, Adderall, say, mm -hmm. like, uh, which is, you know, about as good as we have these days. Like we don't have really strong smart drugs that that I know that are real well proven, but we have these very powerful stimulants. We have powerful stimulants that, yeah, have some short term positive effects. But they also seem to affect uh, people's personality and their priorities. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you're messing with your brain that much, you're not just, you know, adding focus you're adding focus and also kind of futzing with some other things right so you well, become more of a type a person potentially right right and there's like yeah there's a certain self-reinforcing mechanism where you sort of are who you've been or who you thought you've been uh so you could you could long term sort of change your personality i think you know as into a result something of that society things. wants into something that society wants or into Perhaps even what you want, but we're not, you know, I think there's a lot of dissonance between people, what people want to be as a personality and what they are. And you could see them closing that gap. So anyways, we're imagining or becoming like a nation of psychotic yuppies. Uh, I hope not. Um, (laughs) But yeah, well, whether or not it goes exactly that way, I think the depends on who's selling us the drugs, I guess. (laughs) The the larger point here, uh, I mean, let's put it in the water supply, like fluoride. (laughs) Um, I heard a really weird idea from somebody the other day about putting actually low amounts of nicotine in the water supply. Cause apparently nicotine is one of these <laughs> drugs that on the balance, when you're not acquiring it, um, through, you know, smoking leaves, uh, and, and burning it with a bunch of other carcinogens and stuff. Mm-hmm. If you just ingest the nicotine directly, it's highly addictive in the sense of reliance that we were talking about where you can't stop and you get become chemically dependent on it. Mm-hmm. But unless you have a bad heart or specific problems, the consequences, the side effects of it versus the actual, the boost that it gives to you to, in terms of mental clarity, uh, et yeah. cetera, are, are actually on, on balance, maybe beneficial. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, but that just goes to show that, you know, something in and of itself causing a dependency doesn't make it bad just in and of itself, right? No, you have to interface with values, okay. I think. That's where addiction lies. Right. It, it really has to do with what you value and, and where, where the consequences of use are.
But we're, anyways, we're getting off topic. What I want to say is that the, the world that we're positing is one where, you know, now, or at least around now, maybe the height in terms of this type of technology addiction, rather than this may not be the beginning of a problem that's just going to get worse and worse and worse and worse, which is, I think, the natural thing to expect. Uh, we may just be at this moment where we have, we're creating these addictions and we're not able to cure the consequences yet. So we're sort of imagining that in the near future, we might just engineer out those consequences. And then we're left right. with a very different question. Right. right. Well, and that's a world where there's going to be a lot more use of technology even than now, but where it's very hard to argue that use is, is negative. But at the same time, people are going to be having a lot of the same arguments and they may even, I would imagine, keep using the word addiction. Right, right. Right. Well, because what is the, what is the actual problem with the World of Warcraft player that, that bugs us. Right. Like, well, and this is the thing that's like sort of about culture adapting. And it's about people valuing interactions that take place outside in the quote unquote real world over interactions that take place in a virtual space. Right. Right. So when people get upset that, you know, kids spend 75% of their time staring at screens or whatever your favorite statistic is. Right. It's a little bit like saying kids spend 75% of their time breathing or eating. It's like, well, that's our take on it. But but it's still it, it's upsetting to people that they're spending so much time looking at a screen because right. it's the, the assumption is that they're then not interacting with the outer world. Right. So we have a cultural premium on interacting with other people. And it's why I think, you know, even the person who uses Facebook a lot seems less addicted or is less looked down upon than, say, the, you know, the World of Warcraft player in his right. bedroom. Even though both of those are essentially the same technology, they're basically just social networks because Facebook is a mirror world that attempts to suck data in from our world and, and mimic our world in real time as opposed to being a virtual world that's plainly not our world. Right. One is interfacing with uh, the outer world in a, in a different way, actually. And then the other one feels more like a inward looking fantasy experience. Right. And so the question is, will that become the new sort of debate in the future? Right. Maybe culture will start to value those sort of mirror world experiences over pure fantasy world experiences. Or maybe, to, maybe society will become more tolerant of pure fantasy world experiences as they become more compelling, which is you know, maybe a long process. Maybe that doesn't happen overnight. But there's an even, you know, more, I think, disturbing result than, say, just somebody being really involved in World of Warcraft, because World of Warcraft is still very social, right? I mean, people right. are talking to other people just through a screen. Sure. Um, and they're, yes, they're, they're role-playing. But you can imagine somebody doing the same activities just with a bunch of AIs, just living in their own private fantasy world uh, as the technology gets better where there's no real people involved in the chain whatsoever. Right. And then you can have a world where you control all the rules, you set all the parameters of what kind of uh, obstacles and trouble there is in that world, it, and you can really uh, limit your experience to things that you're interested in, while still having a very rich and wide and large uh, world. I think that's what's actually upsetting people. So I think as you remove the consequences of the technology addiction, what you do is you expose this actual underlying fear, right. which is that we're sort of growing apart from each other. We're growing apart from each other and deeply, desperately reliant on our technology. So I think the, the way this conversation I imagine will take shape in the future will be more about, do you engage with the outside world or do you just live in a solipsistic virtual fantasy world? And I imagine society virtue, by virtue of almost definitionally has to 
uh, for its own own survival, survival, it will have to prefer that people come out of their worlds and interact. And uh, how it manages to promote that or what it does to shame those people or what have you will be, I think, somewhat interesting uh, to see. Okay, so I think that's the the major things we want to say. Do you want to say anything in closing, Ted? Uh, No, in closing, uh, I don't want to say anything. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening. (laughs) Thanks for listening and uh, come back next week when we'll talk about something else in the future. Sure. Yeah. Subscribe or leave a comment on this episode, please visit reviewthefuture.com. You can also send emails to feedback at reviewthefuture.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>